off, and you can keep going. It's actually, uh, you know, if you can make it to if you can make it to morning prayer, that's always a good thing. Now I shouldn't say this because now Kirby thinks I'm going after. Her. I'm actually not going after Kirby. No, I don't care. I really don't care. Uh, but I, I read, I, or I heard, I shouldn't say I read, I heard of a very interesting article. You may have seen it. It was either in the Trib. It may have been in the Trib. Did you, anybody see this about the Catholic priest who used to work in the Diocese of Joliet and now is um, a rector or a president in a seminary out in Baltimore? Anybody see this? Very interesting. Did you, you probably, I mean, your husband's the one who told me about it. There was this, uh, he was a priest in Joliet before he went out to Baltimore. His job in Joliet was he was the priest who investigated all of the child abuse cases. Aww. Do you see this? I didn't read it. I, I saw it. Well, you should go find it or look it up online. And this was fascinating. Now, one, that's like being, you know, the Vatican has a, has a chief exorcist. They send the, and this is, I mean, you know, Lutheran should have an exorcist too. Um, I've probably been involved in five, six, seven real exorcisms, which you know were kind of shaky to the core. Um, but the Vatican actually has these exorcists, and of course, exorcisms are done in what language? Latin, because that's the language that the devil knows, right? So um, I've often thought about before I go to do one, like at a home or something, beginning with you know, in nomine patria, filia spiritus sancti, amen. That may help a bit. I don't know the rest of it in Latin, but. Uh, this guy was in charge of all of the child sex abuse scandals. So he would investigate the stuff and work with the priests. And here's the thing about the priests in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. If you get, um, they don't call it defrocked, lay, uh, laicized, they call it, they make you laity, okay? When you get laicized, now in the Lutheran Church, they think their pastors are laity, right? <laughs> A little joke, you guys can all laugh, okay. <laughs> But in the Catholic Church, I just spent three days with all Catholics out on Long Island. He's still alive. May the Queen of Angels have mercy. Um, yeah. Um, but there they laicize you. Well, this guy said to a priest, to a person, to a priest, priests who were involved in sex abuse scandals were priests who did not, who had neglected a prayer life who had had it and lost it, and then they got involved with it. Now, that doesn't mean there's a direct connection, like if you don't have a prayer life, you're going to abuse kids. But it shows you how important a viable, lively prayer life is. Um, so even if you can't make it for our stuff upstairs, and I know there are a variety of reasons, the incense, and it's, you know, you got to come from other places. You know, say your prayers, and uh, if you don't know what to say, you know, I would just encourage you, there's no, there's no sin. Vic, will you pull that door shut? There's no sin in repetition. I mean, say the Our Father three or four times throughout the day. Say the Jesus Prayer. Anybody who tells you that repetition, you know, means you'll, you'll sort of lose love for it, just think about, you know, how many times you kiss your husband or you say I love you or you go, you know, you all go shopping a lot and you still love it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so say your prayers uh, and you, sometimes you go to the same store, right? Yeah, exactly. So Because you love it, yeah. So repetition, so say the Our Father. I mean, sometimes after confession, and you can take it as penance, I take it as a gift, I will say to people, you know, you should probably go say the Our Father about 10 or 12 times, and that might help you. Or say the Jesus Prayer, or, you know, pick your thing. So say your prayers, because it is, I mean, just this past week, I realized how, once again, how demonic the world is, and even how uh, demonically touched the church can be. So if you think we're out of the woods because we made it through all the AOR stuff, you know, just remember, you got to say your prayers um, because that's when, when the devil, 
It's when you think you're out of the woods that the devil then pounces on people. Did you see uh, the screw tape letters? You know, if you actually believe the devil's after you, you know, that's when he actually has to work very hard. It's when you think the devil's not after you that he's like, oh, this is no big deal. You know, look at how easy this is. And that's hopefully we're not we're not getting lackadaisical. So say your prayers. OK, um, along those lines, I did just get back late last night. Uh, I thought about all of you in LaGuardia as I sat there for six hours. Um, I had already gone through security, which meant I couldn't, well, I could have, but I didn't want to walk back through security. I couldn't go out to the American Airlines lounge um, where I had a pass to get in for 15 bucks, and you can drink all you want there, which is, <laughs> which is great. Uh, so I didn't get it. So as I thought about all of you, then lo and behold, Pastor Bruzek calls and says, hey, uh, can you do Bible study tomorrow? I said, sure, but I didn't have a Bible. So I don't, and I had a meeting this morning. So I don't have, I have nothing for all of you today. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, unbelievably great. Um, I mean, I don't know what all you want to know, and partly I don't want to tell you too much because this is being recorded, and I've already been brought up on heresy charges in other venues. I don't want it to happen here. Uh, no, it was good. It was a conference on, uh, it's so funny over there. Um, it was a conference on Long Island at the Seminary of the Immaculate Conception, um, way out on Long Island, Huntington, New York. Beautiful part. I mean, so you arrive in the city, and it takes you, you know, an hour and a half to get out of downtown. But when you get out there, it's gorgeous. It was a seminary, or it was a, it was a conference called Mary and Scripture since Vatican II. My paper was, it's a long title, a forgotten word and a forgotten woman, a Lutheran attempt at regaining the sacramentality of scripture by way of the Annunciation to Mary. So the whole conference, it's, it's a Marian conference. The whole conference is devoted to Marian studies. I went and gave a Lutheran approach to reading the scripture sacramentally. And I proposed the way you do that is you start with the Annunciation. A word hits Mary's ear and Jesus takes up residence in her body. Same thing happens to you. Um, and there were, I mean, there were, these are the biggest names in sort of Catholic circles who were there. I gave the last paper of the conference yesterday morning at 9 a.m. And I, my paper was about 55 minutes long. Everybody else took probably 10 minutes worth of questions. I took almost 45 minutes worth of questions. Because it's intriguing when you have a Lutheran. You know, they don't, they all think they know about Luther, just like we all think we know about Catholics. They don't know anything about Luther. And they don't know anything about Lutherans. But I was so warmly received, um, you know, we could learn something about the way they do sort of ecumenical dialogue. In fact, one, one priest in the back who's got a, they all have, you know, PhDs and they're all very bright. One priest in the back said, I just want you to know how grateful I am to Luther. He taught me what it was to be saved by grace. Now, you all think Catholics don't believe grace plays anything, right? This whole group, this whole group, and this is the thing, this is why, you know, if David Scare was here, he'd say it more crudely than I would. But this is why you need to get out and hang out with your Catholic friends. They all don't believe they're going to heaven because of their works. And frankly, that's not what their church teaches. Um, and we do a disservice when we say that's what they believe. So it was, it was a very, very, very good time. And the best thing was, you know, Abby and, Abby and Claire came with me. Um, Emma didn't. But uh, they did. And, of course, I walk in, and I'm with all priests and nuns. And the very last day, I go in to give my paper, and Abby walks in, and they introduce me. 
here's where he's done his doctoral work, here's where he's studied, here's the stuff he's written, and he's married to Abby. Of course, I stand up in a clerical collar, and they're like, what is going on? <laughs> Who is? But to see the priest, this was stunning to me. The priests all wanted to hold her. And they would all, they, yeah, Abby, her too, I'm sure. Uh, that was not good. Mary, 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 take that off the tape. That was very inappropriate. I didn't, I'm sorry. I, you know what, you have, you have a skewed vision of the Catholic Church, but that's okay. No, so they all wanted to hold Claire, and it was stunning because they'd come up to, they'd come up to Claire, and they'd sort of, oh, look at her, she's so cute, and then they'd all make the sign of the cross on her forehead. Yeah, and now here's the thing. In, in the age of modernism, when, when you, know, you guys all were young and you walked around, people would say to you, if you had trouble out on the street and you saw a priest, what would you say? Father, will you pray for me? Right? What do people ask today? Will you bless me? Right? Will you bless me? And it's, uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. So anyways, I was there with all these Catholics. Great place. Um, I didn't stay at the monastery, which was nice. Um, it was, it was, this was great. Classic monastery. How do you know it's a classic monastery? There are no bathrooms for women. <laughs> so the sisters who were there, they had to put signs up on the doors that said restroom, and they used vacant dorm rooms, and they would let the women go in and use the bathroom. But you know that it's a seminary because it's immaculate. It's so clean. Here's the other thing. It's not like Lutherans. They actually spend money on nice stuff. <laughs> and uh, you, know it's a, you know it's a seminary because you could always smell the incense as you walked by the chapel, and there are no female bathrooms. So um, it went well. It was good. All that being said, we've killed people. Ten minutes. <laughs> do you have a psalm you want to do? Yeah, which one? Okay, let's go there. Okay, Psalm 133. <laughs> yeah, right. It is, a, it is a vision. It is intriguing. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm just. Looking at something else here. Okay. All right, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity or dwell together. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's good. All right. Uh, well, Carol, tell us why you picked that one. <laughs> Something you want. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Well, what would be the reason for putting oil on your face? By the way, Ab, we should show them. Well, not we. I mean, you could if you wanted. We should show them that video, This is the Night. We watched this video of um, the catechumenate in the Catholic Church. It was, it, was, it was done about 20 years ago. We actually got it for St. John. It's out of print. I got it from the seminary, copied it. We did all that kind of stuff. We watched it one night. And uh, it needs to be updated because everybody looks like they're from the 1980s. But the vision is unbelievable. When the priest baptizes these adults and these children, he doesn't just put oil on their forehead. He pours it on their head and then sort of rubs it all over them, these newly baptized, which is, of course, what they did in the early church. So why would that be a pleasant thing? For you and me, for you and for me, it's not necessarily pleasant. Why would that be a pleasant thing? Yes, okay. So if, so if it's dry, yeah, right? So the desert is dry. Uh, why else? That's part of it. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew? We always read it on Ash Wednesday. It is pleasant smelling. Yeah, cooking oil wouldn't be, but other oil would be pleasant smelling. So it's it moistens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't sort of, uh, it's not like motor oil. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very thin. It moisturizes. It gives a good smell. What else? What, is, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say on Ash Wednesday? When you fast, go into, or, you know, when you pray, go into your room. When you fast, what does he say? Anoint your head with oil. So for what reason? So your neighbor doesn't know that you're fasting. So in some sense, to be anointed is to be marked with light, to be marked with there's no struggle involved. Just like when they take Jesus' body down at the cross, what are they going to do to him? Anoint him, right? They're going to anoint him. Um, okay, keep going. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the first point, you might want to call the Lutheran bishop out in New York, David Benke, who does the same thing. Isn't that interesting? The Lutherans bless their oil on Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday is called the Chrism Mass. Uh, now, why is it called the Chrism Mass? Chrism is what? Chrism is oil. Yeah, to be Christed. Uh, so that's why if you have a baptism, you can call it a baptism, or you can call it a chrismine. Right, to be christened. Uh, but on on the holy on Holy Thursday, they have three different kinds of oil, and I'm trying to remember what they are. They have the O. You'll see it like this: O I, O C. I don't remember what the other what the other one is. It might be O R. You have the oil of uh, for anointing the ill, the oil of chrismation, that's baptism. And then I think this would be the oil, maybe it's O-L, the oil of last rites. This is when your mom's sick and we don't think she's going to die. 
this is your mom's sick and she's dying. No idea. I don't know. No, I have no idea. I don't actually think there's even a difference in the oil. I think they just set them apart for different things. And so the priest then, what happens is um, the bishop, you got to remember, you know, we don't have any structure in the Missouri Synod, at least one that's biblical. So this is very difficult to sort of comprehend. But in the Roman church, you have a pope, you have cardinals, yeah, you have cardinals, then you have archbishops. And I'm just showing you the, ch the chain here so you can see what happens. Bishops, then you have bishops. I can never spell Monsignor. Thank you very much. Catholic catechism over there. And then you have priests. Is that right? Yeah, Monsignors are just parish priests who are who are... Exactly right. What happens is, if you're a parish priest, you technically work for a bishop. Yeah. The bishop works for the pope. Okay. So what happens is, uh, the bishop is the extension of the pope. So when you have a, a chrism mass on Holy Thursday, who blesses the oil? Bishop. The pope can't be everywhere, right? But the bishops can. That's why in the early church and even in Lutheranism, for a long time, you'd have you'd have uh, confirmations, you know, confirmation of kids, once every two or three years. Why would you do this? Because there were so few bishops and they couldn't get around fast enough, mm -hmm. and a bishop has to do a confirmation. So a bishop blesses the oil, and then you'll see at the Vatican on Holy Thursday the Pope blesses the oil. But what happens is then when the bishop blesses it, it goes out to all these different parishes. Okay, so that every parish, this is Saint Mike's, you know, this is. Uh, St. Daniel, pick your parish. When the parish uses the oil, it's connected to the bishop who blessed it, which is connected back to the pope. So it's yeah, it probably would be. So uh, oil is oil is very important. Now in Lutheranism, the same thing happens, at least in some in some circumstances. The bishop in New York, the Atlantic District, will bless the oil. It's in a big vat, huge thing of it, and then each priest takes his cruet full. Okay, and then that's used all throughout the year. And then the next, then the next Holy Thursday, it's uh, it's it's anointed or it's blessed again, because on Holy Thursday Jesus washes the disciples' feet and he anoints them and he does all. So that's the reason for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The synodical president. By congregation? Well, uh, yeah. Technically, it's elected by a group of delegates, lay people and pastors, every every three years over the summer. So there's one coming up this summer. No, they would deal with it deal with it themselves. Yeah. That's all right. You're killing time. I have nothing going on this oh, morning. Goody. You just keep going. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. We don't, uh, don't talk about your mother. You had one more question. Synodical president elected. I got one more. You said. Can they ever get 
our church, you mean? I mean, like, yeah, you're talking about Lutherans. Yes. Excommunication is, uh, is a right which is left up to the individual congregation. So bishops can remove pastors, but pastors and congregations remove members. I did. I could feel it coming. I don't know how this relates to Psalm 133, but he can speak ex cathedra. Nope. No. No. Okay. That's good. Did I, did I tell you last Friday, um, I can't remember now what I told you. Did I tell you about Walther and the start of the Lutheran Church? Did I tell you about this? You heard it at the David Scare thing. This is stunning. So this is where, if you ever wondered how Lutheran, uh, how Lutheran polity, how we run our churches, got so screwed up, all you have to do is, you all know what happened, right? In the 18, was it, 1870s, Lutherans came over on the boat, St. Louis. They get off the boat, and they have a bishop. Bishop Stephan, who comes off with a miter and a crozier, and he's their bishop. Just like if you go to Germany today, you have bishops. They wear bishop vestments. And Lutherans had no problem with this. Well, within about the first you know, 20 minutes that he's here, three women accuse him of having an affair. So what do they do with the bishop? They put him on a boat, and they send him across the Mississippi River uh, and say, go do your own thing. Well, here's what's funny. Two, two things have been uh, discovered in all of this. Lo and behold, Bishop Stephan's great-great-grandson is a pastor in the ELCA today. So this guy who got kicked out, he's a pastor, and of course knows the family stories. And he's now written a book which says, actually, not only did his great-great-grandfather not do it, but one of the women who said he did it recanted. They came back, she came back and said, I was kind of forced into this. I didn't. I mean, I was forced into saying he did it. He didn't really do it. And the other woman, they never actually talked to. So they jumped to all these conclusions. Remind you of anything? <laughs> jumped to all these conclusions. They send him on a boat. And when they put him on the boat, they take away all of his vestments and they leave him with overalls and a T-shirt and an axe in the dead of winter. Now, I don't care how much you hate a person. Is that the way you treat them? No. This is what they did to their bishop. And what happens then is, so not only was he not, he never got a trial. One of the women recanted. He was sent back with nothing. It shows you maybe they were trying to force him out. What happens then, Walther teams up with a layperson who says, you know what, this idea of having a bishop really isn't helpful. This isn't good. Walther compromises, and that's where you get the voters assembly. In all of this, this is so great. This is why Lutheranism is upside down sometimes. All of this happened in about four weeks' time. Now, you know the great controversies in the church. How long did they take to get fleshed out? Thousands of years. You have, even, even just look at, look at the Vatican Council in Rome. How long was that? Four or five years long? That's considered short. This, so some layperson who's a dentist or something, in six weeks can convince Walther of how to run an entire church body which still exists today because they didn't like the bishop who they sent back on the boat who maybe didn't commit the crime he was convicted of. Isn't that fascinating? And if he hadn't been convicted, 
you would have a church body that looks identical to that. Isn't that stunning? So all so many of our problems today go back to our very beginning because how are, pro- how are problems solved today? You don't like somebody, you vote them out. Fascinating. Okay, fascinating. All right, well, Psalm 133. Oil. It, yes. Yeah. Exactly. To have oil meant you were marked for a specific purpose. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, because, yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a mark of being chosen. That's why at Jesus' baptism, he's not, he's not uh, anointed with oil. How was he anointed? The Holy Spirit comes down, and, and as the scriptures say, they Christ him. They christen him. And then today, the mark of the Spirit is to put oil on, right? So, yeah, it's a mark of being chosen. It's a mark of life. It's moisturizing. It's, you know, pick your thing. It smells good. You're out in the desert. Um, all of that. Behold how good and pleasant, and those are sensory things, right? Those are things you can smell, you can see, you can hear. In fact, I read a great article in Touchstone where it said the, the, three, the first three senses that engage everything are smell, sight, and hearing. And then what happens? That draws you in, and then you can taste and you can touch. That's why you have incense. Incense draws you into the sanctuary, right? That's why you have music. It draws you in. That's why you should see things, vestments. It draws you in. And then ultimately, the two most important senses are to taste and to touch, okay? So behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And uh, the word for unity there, I'm just looking at this in real time now, Union, unitedness, together, all together, uh, yachad, which is has some connection to holiness, I'm sure. Uh, so that that's important. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, which means it sort of consumes him. It comes down on his head, runs through his face, runs through his beard, runs down onto his robes. It means he can't get rid of it. It's like the dew of Hermon. And Hermon in Hebrew means sacred mountain. Okay, It's not just the name of some hill. It's not like the Appalachian Mountains. Hermon is sacred hill. It's like the dew of the sacred hill which falls on the mountains of Zion. And Zion, of course, what, what connotation does Zion have in the scriptures? Can you keep her down back there, please? I'm trying to teach. Zion in the scriptures has what? Heaven, yeah. Heaven is called the new and greater Zion. And, of course, uh, in the scriptures, in Zechariah 9.9, and then you get it again on the Annunciation, Mary is called the daughter of Zion. Isn't that interesting? Mary is the daughter of Zion. Zion is the new Jerusalem. It's heaven. So you have this dew falling on the mountains of Zion. Now, why would dew on the mountains of Zion be important? This is where I need your help, because this is one I can't figure out. Dew on the mountains of Zion. Yeah. It, it is, but it has a second meaning, right? But after you see the southern part of Israel, 
Right. All souls are waiting for right. the Messiah to be dealt with. Right. Literally. Right. Literally. And you go up to the northern land and it's starting with a Jordan, which is a thing where there's life and a life-giving kind of water that's there in the Jordan. You get down to where the Jordan is and it's when John was baptized, it's at least today it's about cleansing. Yeah, all right. Right. Yummy, guilt-filled thing that you have ever seen. Yeah. But you go up to the Jordan and it's like this. Right. The northern part of Israel is the red Okay, so he takes you from the parched land. Now think about this. He takes you from the parched land to Hermon, which is called the Holy Hill, or even in some instances a sanctuary. He takes which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's like the Dew of Hermon. Uh, I guess the question would be, is there a difference, difference between Hermon and Zion? Or in the scriptures, could they be one and the same? But, the, but if, you're, if you're going uh, with the topography, you'd move from wilderness up to Hermon. And if dew is what gives life on Hermon, Now think about this sort of symbolically in the church. What would the dew be? What gives life in the sanctuary? Yes, right. So you have the first you have the first reference to the chrism. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it came down like dew. Manna did. But you have this but see the progression here? You have the chrism running down Aaron's beard. That reminds you of what sacrament? Baptism. Then you make your way up the mountain from the wilderness. And what, you know, what gives nourishment in the sanctuary? Remember, the sanctuary is not the entire building. The sanctuary is the Holy of Holies. It's the altar. The Eucharist. You have both sacraments, the entirety of the Christian life, in Psalm 133. You see that? Yes. Yeah. Well, you might even you might even wonder if the psalmist got it upside down. Maybe maybe verse one should be verse three. So you have oil on the beard, dew on Hermon, baptism, Eucharist, and what does that lead to? Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell, dwell together in unity. Exactly right. Yes, exactly. So you're moving up. I don't know. I bet you you could. Yes. Right. Good. That's right. Going in and coming out. Okay. That makes sense? I mean, look at that. That's how 
That's how you have to begin to read the Psalms. This is all about Christ and his gifts. It starts off with unity. Let's put unity down at the end. It starts off with oil. Oil is always connected to baptism, always in the scriptures. Um, isn't oil, is that used in Psalm 23, oil? Yeah, right? And in Psalm 23, it's even more vivid because you have, he, he leads me beside the still waters. He anoints my head with oil. And then you have the great line where he says, he makes me lie down in green places. And you get that, and of course it's desert, it's desert out there. But that reminds you of the Gospel of Mark when he makes, he, he tells the disciples, go lie down in these green places and what does he do? He feeds the 4,000, which is utterly Eucharistic. Even the action is the same. So you have here baptism, chrismation, you have do on Hermon, do in the sanctuary, baptism, Eucharist, and verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You have both sacraments in Psalm 133. Isn't that great? You're not as excited as I am. You're all going to go home tonight and say, that was so boring, I have no idea what he's talking about. I think it's good. And then, for the Lord has commanded the blessing. Oh, now this is interesting. He has commanded the blessing. Oh, this is so good. He has commanded the barakah, which is Hebrew for blessing. But now let's see what it says in Greek. He has commanded for Zion, the Lord... The Greek word, eulogion, which is like a eulogy. He has commanded the eulogy. And then the Greek word is zoe. He has commanded the eulogy, life forevermore. What happens at a eulogy? Yeah, well, you don't just say this guy was a good baseball player. A eulogy is, is where you praise somebody. So he has commanded the praise, life forevermore. I was, I was hoping it would be, oh, now this, oh, this is so good. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me as I talk. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. This, oh, I knew it. Vicar, I am speaking good. Oh, man, I could feel it coming, Kirby, and guess what? It was there. The same word is in 1 Corinthians 10.16. Pop that open. 1 Corinthians 10.16. This is almost, you all should record this because this is so well put together. This is like, oh, may the queen of angels be praised. That was a joke, partly. <laughs> this same word for blessing, 1 Corinthians 10.16. Who wants to read it and reveal the truth of the Holy Spirit right here? Oh, isn't that... Keep going. Isn't that the exact same word for blessing from Psalm 133 in the Greek is in 1 Corinthians 10.16. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not a koinonia in the blood of Christ? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? That's why... That's why uh, Lutherans, the one guy who was going to bring him up on heresy charges, because I said you participate in Jesus, is completely wrong. Why is that? Right here. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? 
this psalm ends with a reference to the Eucharist. This is like, whew. It's the exact same word translated into Greek. In Hebrew, it's barakah, which is the, it's, it's the most, that's the most sacred form of blessing you could ever give. When Aaron blesses the people, it's a barakah. When it's translated to Greek, remember the Old Testament's Hebrew and the New Testament's Greek, when it's translated to Greek, the word that comes in is blessing in 1 Corinthians 10, which means there is, I mean, you've got to think, does St. Paul, St. Paul's got to have this in mind as he writes this, okay? This is so great. Brothers, so you have, you have this going on. You have unity. You have baptism. You have Eucharist. And then you have blessing. Say that again. There. What are you talking about? Of Psalm 133? Oh, I think it's on Zion. And Zion is the sanctuary. So within the sanctuary, so you have to see this as a reference to the church. Within the sanctu- sanctuary, the Lord, oh, this is, this is, it gets better. Oh, it gets, what are you doing? Are you leaving, Kirby? You don't like this? Okay. Because I'm just starting to roll now. All within the church. Unity, baptism, Eucharist, blessing. But he says, I have commanded the blessing within the church. So when your friends say, I don't need the Eucharist all the time, you can say, wait, Psalm 133 doesn't only really say, I've made a blessing present. I have commanded it. I have commanded the blessing. I have commanded that the Eucharist be present. I have commanded that there be dew on Hermon, and Hermon is, in Hebrew, a sanctuary. Well, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Greek or the Hebrew word seva to lay a charge, to command, to order. And I wonder what it is in. And tello, command, order, give orders in Greek. It is a stronger word. And it's and he references, open your Bibles up to John 14. This is where it comes into the Greek. John 14, 31. This is. John 14, 31. This is like, I'm almost a Pentecostal right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking so much. Oh, man. I need to walk around a little bit. Yeah. John 14, 31. What does it say? This is Jesus. Now, this is so good. John 14, 31 says what? But I do as my Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So love, of course, is action. Rise, let us be going. And then verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1 is, I am the vine, you are the branches, which is a reference to what? The Eucharist. This is Augie. 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 Augie, where are you? Oh, <laughs> no habla. <laughs> Augie, you need to go call somebody because this is going on right now. 
feeling the Holy Spirit. I do as the Father. This is, you do. Let us, yeah, yeah. Let us put up three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is like, this is unbelievable. All of this in three verses of Psalm 133. This is utterly sacramental. How, when brothers dwell, oh, this is, Yeah, I'm just, this is like, I've never known this was so good. Yes. No, I think, uh, I was just looking at that actually. It's, um, oh yeah, how good and pleasant it is when, it's, it's a Delphoi. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of sort of a generic. Yeah, it could be as, it's not, in, in some instances it is as specific as, it's the same word that, that Jesus uses when he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Adelphoi. And that, of course, has many meanings. It can be biological brother. In the Old Testament, the same word is used for cousin. So when people say Mary wasn't always virgin, you, you actually can't say that. You can't say she was, but you can't say she wasn't because the word Adelphoi is used for any variety of things. And it's broadly as sort of my fellow countrymen. Okay? So you have to see this in the con so we use the rest of the psalm then as our context. What's the context is unity, sanctuary, Zion. This has got to be a reference to the church, the community of the church. First and foremost. And then any number of things, but first and foremost to that. Yeah. Why I I might just keep going after you're done. So why don't you go ahead? Tell us where you want to go. Yes. Yes. Where were you, you were looking at? You were looking at thirty verse thirty thirty. Yeah. Now, can you read verse thirty two in yours? Now. Now let me read you what it says in the ESV. Which what what version do you have there? This might be. A, I, I'm not saying it's more faithful, but it might be closer to the Hebrew. This is what it says: You shall anoint Aaron and his sons. This is verse 30. Consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout all generations. Now verse 32. Not it should be poured on men. It says it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like. You shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. And then you have that other, man, we just read it, I think, at the morning Eucharist, where he says to Aaron, 
I've selected you from among the ordinary people and set you apart as a priest. But you can't just, but he says, but ordinary, oh yeah, he says, but ordinary people can't make themselves priests. I make ordinary people priests. And that's what he's referencing here, which means uh, there is a distinction between the priest and the people. Exactly, yeah, the distinguishing characteristic, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And so what makes him different is he's received the gift of the anointing. Now, translate that into the New Testament. This is so good. The Holy Spirit is speaking again. Translate that into the New Testament. The New Testament version of anointing with oil in the Old is to actually receive the Holy Spirit. When does Jesus do that? Before that. The night of his resurrection, he goes to the disciples and he says to them, Peace be with you. Receive the Spirit. As the, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you forgive sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not. He's putting the apostles in a new and greater order of Aaron. And the new and greater order of Aaron is actually the order of Melchizedek. How does he put men into the ministry? Hands, spirit, oil. Yeah. Yes, yes, in 133, if this was about specifically the, the priesthood. Uh, well, it could be. I mean, you don't know what's going on at that time. They could all dislike each other, all the priests. You are in a very general, broad sense. Uh, you're all priests, but you're not all pastors. And what he's, what he's referencing here, remember, there's not a, there's not a, not a, pa yeah. Good, and I'm going back to Exodus 30. Because in Exodus 30, there's no, uh, there's no pastoral office at that time. So to be a priest is to be one who's put. And then, of course, that transforms in the New Testament to First Peter, everyone is a priest, which means what? What does it mean if you're a priest? Say your prayers, you offer sacrifices. You smell good. That's why you're baptized. But not everyone's a pastor. Somebody at the seminary who's no longer there, unfortunately, before he got a faculty position, very young guy, probably 30 when he got a faculty position, he, during his interview at the Board of Regents, they went after him because he had written an article that said there's the distinction between the priesthood of the ministry and the priesthood of the baptized. They almost didn't give him a job on the faculty because he said there's a distinction. And all you have to do is read Exodus 30 and John 20, and it sort of makes sense, right? Psalm 133, go back there. I need to go home after this. Whew. What else do you see? Anything there? Do you have any other questions? It does, and like so. In fact, you might. I mean, here's the thing. This might be. I mean, here. Well, this is the great thing about the Psalms. David writes 23, not as a Psalm of ascent, and you don't know why he doesn't write it as a Psalm of ascent. Maybe he didn't want to pray it at that time, but then he writes Psalm 133 as a Psalm of ascent. Psalm 133 is almost a shortened version of 23. It's almost like he said as he's writing this. You know what? That one back in 23 was great but we don't have that much time or people won't remember all of it, so I'm going to write a shorter version so as we walk we can say this. I mean, really, that's what's going on in the writer's head, possibly. Remember, inspiration, that he writes these things, isn't that the Lord whispers in his ear, right, how beautiful and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. He's out in the desert and wondering how he's going to get to the next day, and he writes something because he's connected to the Messiah. So this almost appears to be a shorter version of 23.
Yeah. It is corporate. So that's what I mean. Probably, or possibly, is better. He could have written this for himself. And then said, that might not be bad for a whole community if we go up to, the, go up to Jerusalem. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of, of the baptized. Yep, exactly. But you're right, Donna. It almost ends like 23. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the sanctuary forever. And then this one ends on the mountain of Zion in the sanctuary. Herman, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Isn't that great? This is the thing. When you take three verses and you actually sort of pound through them and look for other connections, there's so many things you can find. Okay? Wow. How good and pleasant. I'm trying to think of good and pleasant. Precious oil running on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron. What's that? <laughs> good and plenty. That could be it. All right. Anything else about 133? You people in the back, you all okay? You know that baby yet? <laughs> okay. I didn't know if all the excitement in the room might, you know. No, I mean, that kind of happens. Babies can get excited over the Viva Vox. The living voice. Okay. Uh, well, you know, let's just go to 134. Let's finish with 134 because it does seem to be a natural connection or have a natural connection to 133. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. This is almost like one long sermon from, from David to his people. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you. I mean, this, wow. Let's just read it all together. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard of Aaron, on the, uh, running on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So it's a priestly image there. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Now, come, he says to his people, Bless the Lord, all you servants. Oh, my gosh, this is so good. All you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now look at 135. Does it say there a song of ascent? 135, which means this ends the Psalms of ascent. So they're almost to, they're almost to the mountaintop. And he says, come, bless the Lord. It's like we're almost there, people. Come on up, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. That would almost be like, you know, your Catholic friends have Eucharistic adoration. They say all night. This, in some sense, is the Old Testament form of that. You stay all night in the temple. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. But now listen to this. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's the blessing of a priest to his people. If you've ever heard of, sometimes pastors will say, may the Lord bless you from on high, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. That's the benediction. 
So you not only have baptism and the Eucharist, you have the entire divine service in these two psalms. I'm starting to walk around in circles. Unity, baptism, Eucharist, blessing. This could be, this is their post-communion. And then what does he give in Psalm 135? This is 134. In, no, it's 133. In 134, then, he ends with benediction. You walk in together, unity, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Baptism, Eucharist. In here is his little sermon someplace. The blessing, the post-communion canticle, uh, uh, the very body and very blood, strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith. The blessing... This is what Jesus commanded us to do. Now let's all be going. Benediction, the blessing from on high, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you always. You have the entire divine service. You have the entire liturgy in Psalm 133 and 134. Do you see it? I mean, if you don't see it, tell me. But it's all there. I know. I mean, this is... And that then ends the songs of ascent. There are no more songs of ascent, I don't think. That's it. So it's kind of like, okay, we, we've been up on the mountain now. We've been to Zion. Yeah. Life forevermore. That's where you stay. This is so good. Thanks for picking it, Carol. It does start with the unity, yeah. Yeah, because you go into the temple as one body and you come out of the temple as one body. The, the most dangerous, hurtful thing that was ever said, not against me, against this whole community, was someone who stood outside before a voters meeting and said, let's go get our church back. Guess what? That isn't, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. If it's your church, there ain't unity. It's not your church, it's our church. And it's Christ's church. Make sense? Now, Rebecca. Well, he goes on to say in verse 17, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So it's both, body and blood. Um, uh, it's, it's deeper than that. That might be the very basic way of saying it. The Greek word is koinonia, which means communion. That might be the Lord calling right now. Karen, rock on. You need me to talk to somebody? That a girl. So, um, the blessing is per the blessing in the blessing. Have you seen? Uh, <laughs> uh, you've not seen this National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Oh yes. Great movie. They want you to say the prayer. The what? The blessing. And then she goes. I pledge allegiance <laughs> to the flag. This is everything you need to know about. 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It is my favorite movie. The Blessing. Actually, I think if I ever had a boy, I'd name him Clark. Maybe even Clark W. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Blessing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the Blessing here. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, the blessing, the blessing in Psalm 133, is a reference to what goes on in the sanctuary. Okay, it's very vague. It's about the dew coming on Hermon. This blessing will go on forever. And you kind of say, what's the blessing? Well, that's where you have to look at 1 Corinthians 10. What blessing is the Lord talking about? Is not the cup of blessing, the cup, and, and sometimes it's translated even as Eucharist. The cup of thanksgiving, which we bless, which means, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread in the same way also he took the cup. That's the blessing. So you're, it's a little vague here in 133. What blessing is he talking about that will live on forever? Oh. <laughs> One of those days. It's vague in 133. It's clear in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 interprets 133 for you. The blessing is the verba pronounced on the Eucharist. What that does is not the bread that we break, a participation in the, he doesn't say bread of Christ, body of Christ. The blessing changes the bread. The blessing changes the cup to body and to blood. So it means two things. It means is not the bread we break. Doesn't that become the body? It has communion with the body. Doesn't the cup have communion with the blood? It means that. It also means you have communion with the bread and communion with the cup. And I would propose to you that it's more than you living as Jesus. It would be everything Jesus has, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, that's, that's scary when you think about it. Everything he has is given to you. So his body and his blood and his soul and his divinity, his divine nature, become one flesh with you. And that's why then you read Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 5 says, Lo, I tell you a mystery, a sacrament. All of you think marriage isn't a sacrament. St. Paul says it is. I tell you a sacrament, but guess what? I'm referring first and foremost to Christ and the church. The reason you and Christ are one flesh, or the image that you are with Christ, is that which you would be with a husband or a wife. Okay? Everything your spouse has, you've got. Everything you've got, your spouse gets. Same thing with Christ. And that's why oftentimes, you know, why is it called the marriage supper of the Lamb? Because the Eucharist is, is a marriage banquet. In fact, it's more than that. It's actually the union of husband and wife. Okay? So that's, and then, of course, you give Jesus everything you've got, which isn't very good. That's what Luther called the great exchange. You give Luther, you give, you give Luther, you might give Luther too. You give Jesus all the sins you've got, and Jesus gives you all of himself. But don't limit Jesus to just body and blood. And don't limit him to just some forgiving God who's off in heaven. He gives you his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. When he raises the widow's son at name, that divine nature is given to you as a gift. And then he pushes you out. This is why the, the Latin mass is so beautiful at the end. Ete missa est, go the mission. Yes. Exactly. See how nicely this all fits together? Yeah.
Yeah, uh, on Sunday morning, a couple weeks back, I gave you the the thing from Luther where he says, when one person suffers, the whole community suffers. You can't. You have to push that beyond just suffering. It doesn't just mean if you get cancer, we all feel the, the effects of that. It also means when you sin, we all feel the effects of it. And consequently, when you're forgiven and you make restitution, we all feel the effects of that. This is, this is verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You can have a go at it on your own, not you. You can, I can, we can all have a go on it on our own. But then you've got to suffer alone, die alone, live alone, sin alone, be forgiven alone. That's a miserable life. Or you can do it in the community. But you have to realize that everything you do within the community has consequences. When you're forgiven, the community's forgiven. This is what people don't understand. When they sin in this community... That gives the entire community a bad name because the sin is transferred to everyone in the community because everyone in the community participates in everyone else. That's why if you let Jesus have the first word, you're okay. Oh, it's not just that it hurts you. It's your sin. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not... Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's, I, sh- I should be more clear. It's not that my sin might possibly hurt you. It does in some way, whether you know it or not. My sin is your sin, and your sin is my sin. And this is why when people within a community don't want to square things up, what does it do? It divides the community because sin festers. And guess what? It doesn't just fester with you who won't square things up. It festers with everybody now because you're not squaring it up means nobody is squaring it up. But at the same time, when you're forgiven, everyone is forgiven. And that's why the Eucharist is the great equalizer. Okay? So this is like, people think, oh, my sins are my sins. They're not your sins. Just like the Lord never works just with individuals. It's always in a body. It's always corporately. It's always the church. I'm exhausted now. (laughs) I feel good, though. I'm just like, that's the best I've felt down here in a long time. Might be hanging out with the Catholics, Mary. I don't know. I know that scares you. You poor thing. You've said that about six times now. It was the six hours in the airport. It was the six. Oh, that was. I sat in. We sat. Where did we sit? What was the airline? They're not even. Midwest Airline. We weren't flying them, but they were the darkest little. Nobody was in there, and they had plugins for your computer. We just sat there all day like this. You want some pop? You want a beer? Big one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what happened. All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, next week, is it Memorial Day? Okay, so we don't meet next week, and then do we go one more after that? I think we have one more at the very end. Is that right? Or do you not want this it? Hey, way to go out on a bang. Okay, we love you. Have fun over the summer. Keep coming to Sunday morning, and we'll see you next year on a Friday.